Well, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open it to Book of Genesis, chapter 37. Book of Genesis, chapter 37. As we heard a few minutes ago, we have parents here, we have grandparents here, and we have great-grandparents here, and great-grandparents with the adjective great-grandparents, as Don said. So I, want, I wrote in the uh, monthly this morning that hopefully you, you grabbed as you came in. And I want you to look at the person next to you, and you got to do this. It's so, you don't understand. It's so much more fun for me when you participate a bit. So look at that person next to you and say, you're not done being a parent yet. Right now, do it. You're not done being a parent yet. This month, these last couple months, we've been talking about, uh, we've been talking, we've been going through um, stories in Genesis um, that we don't tell our kids. We've been, we, um, on um, Mother's Day, we went through a, a couple key points on parenting. And last week on Father's Day, we went through some key points in parenting as well. And I want to remind you that this, is, this isn't over. That you, you have, you've got some successes. You've got some failures. You've got some stuff that you went through that I need to learn from. And so whether it's a child, whether it's a grandchild, whether it's somebody that you're not related to, but you know they're going through something, it's still time and still season for you to be a voice into their life. And so while we've been doing this story, we, this series is called Genesis Stories. We, well, don't tell our kids because there's parts in these stories that are a little dark or a little complicated or, or, or just a, something that we're still wrestling with. Um, we're going to conclude that series today with, with, as Joe said, one of many people, as Joseph said, one of many people, one of most people. Sorry, I'm having trouble talking this morning. Most people's favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Joseph. Not Jesus's, not, not Mary and Joseph, but we're talking about the story of Joseph, Joseph in the book of Genesis. So I want you to, um, uh, so if you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 37 and we're going to conclude with communion. So I want to just have a word of prayer, and I want to jump right in this morning. So let's pray. Lord, this is your word. And now, in these moments, we need to hear from you. Lord, we've, many of us have heard this story before, but I don't want to take anything for granted that some may be hearing it for the first time. And as we've, it's a story that we've heard before, we now need to ask the question, what are you speaking to us in this moment through the life of Joseph today? That revelation that will come from the living God in moments like this is based right now on this moment for all of you that are sitting here today. Are you ready to receive are you ready to receive what the Lord is speaking to you this morning? And will you respond to his revelation? So now all across this room, may our hearts be open to hear your voice today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Genesis 37, these, the, the reason why there's some parts of this story that may be a little not so junior Bible quiz friendly that might be a little bit hard to explain is, first off, the hatred. There is some really bad hatred in this story. 
And it all begins with this really cute thing we like to talk about in Sunday school because you, I'm sure um, our kids have got the J- Joseph with the coat of many colors you know, outline and all the kids will color in all the different colors. And it's, it's a fun children's lesson. But do you realize what, what, why he's wearing that coat? He has, um, he has 11 other, or he has 11 other, excuse me, he has yeah, 11 other brothers and all of his brothers... And Joseph is the second youngest. The, the first one is the one that's supposed to get the inheritance. And Joseph gets this coat from his father. Now, part of what's happening here is the reason Joseph is favored is because it was, Rachel was really Jacob's you know, favorite wife. And he only had two kids with Rachel. He had Joseph and he had Benjamin. All the other came from some of his first wives, and a lot of them came from actual maidservants when he couldn't have wives. That's where a lot of the 12 tribes of Israel came from. And so Joseph was his kind of his pride and joy. So when he puts this coat on, it's just one more thing that reminds all of his brothers how much they hate him. Every time they see him wearing that coat, oh, there's the chosen one who dad likes him so much more than us for whatever reason, because he's the child of Rachel. And imagine how that makes all the other brothers feel. So this one thing that was meant to be a gift was actually the one thing that, be, that was the foothold for all of his brothers to hate him. Have you felt that way before? When someone got something that you thought should be yours. Have you ever felt that way before? When someone got a promotion, a new house, a relationship, or maybe they just got the affirmation that you're wanting. You know, somebody noticed them in a way that you wished they would notice you. Come on, we've all felt that way before. And a few weeks ago, we talked about what happened with Cain and Abel. And this was the word of God to Cain. He said, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. What I'm trying to tell you today is that this feeling of whether it's jealousy, whether it's hatred, is something that should be expected for us as Christians. You will feel this way. You haven't done anything wrong because a feeling of jealousy has come to you or a feeling of of hatred has come to you in that moment. And I've said this before, if you haven't caught this yet, feelings are neither right nor wrong, they just are. And as the Lord said to to Cain in this moment, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. So what you do with these feelings, what you do with with what is going on in your heart right now is going to make or break you. The first thing you need to know in your moments of jealousy, in your moments of, well, hatred, is that the Lord is not going to engage this hatred or jealousy with you. What I mean is that it's not that he doesn't care about your emotions. He certainly does. But he's not going to feel the same way about this other person that you do. He, feels, he may feel the same way about the sin in someone's life. 
and, and the, the hatred for the sin in the world and the things that have caused it. But he's not going to be on your bandwagon of vengeance. God, help me get this person back. Help me go, go get the, I can't, you know what they did to me. It's time. Let's go, let's go get our vengeance and let's make it right. He's not going to join you in that cause. Instead, the gift, the option that he offers is gratitude. While jealousy and hatred is a poison that, that, that he will allow us to turn to and to drink and we will turn ourselves over to knowing that there's a chance <coughs> that we may never come back. But the, what he offers us is gratitude. The opportunity to recognize that we are blessed. That the people in front of us are capable of making mistakes. And the people in front of us deserve reverence and respect and praise even when we think it should be ours, or even when they, we feel like they have wronged us, these are children of God just like we are. Now, this is a hard thing to grasp when you're someone like Joseph, when your brothers are the ones with the hatred. And so if you don't know the story, what happens next is Joseph, you know, this hatred just boils up. It boils up amongst his brothers. And to one point, they're out in the field and and here he comes here they're, they're you know they're like sitting around talking about Joseph and and he's like the you know the butt of all of their jokes he's the one that they're making fun of the one that they can't stand and they, they have all these these things they're conspiring and one day Joseph walks up and finds them in the field he's actually got lunch from his father that he's bringing to them and they all of a sudden they're just at this point of rage where it's time let's just end Joseph father will never know that and we're going to find a way to do this so, but there's this controversy among the camp. There's a conflict within them, within the brothers, and they decide rather than to kill him, they first they throw him in a cistern, and then Ishmaelites, Ishmaelite slave traders come along, and they give him to the Ishmaelites so that he can be traded. Now, this goes back. Joseph gets a coat, but he was also having dreams. He was also having dreams of how all of his brothers would bow down to him. Now, that's, those aren't good dreams to share with all of your brothers. Now, Scripture says that he shared those dreams. Scripture never said that God told him to share those dreams. I, that's one thing when I read the Bible, it's, I scratch my head. I was like, Joseph, should you have just kept this one to yourself and waited for a crossroad for what might happen one day? I don't know, you know, if I, you know, I don't think these are the kind of things you want to go public with. Now, uh, this has, I was not going to share this, but because this has come up in some of my conversations with some of you and in many different ministry opportunities I've had in the past, something supernatural um, may happen to you. The Lord may give you a vision. The Lord may give you a burden. But if you ever get a, a dream or, or something where you've got this thing that keeps happening and you don't know what it means... Um, there is a really clear resolve to that, is that the Lord has given that to you. May, I think you should share it with someone. You shouldn't share it with everyone. I'm not going to give you the pulpit so you can share your dream. But you should share it with someone. And a lot of times what ends up happening is that this is something you, the, Lord has, the Lord may have given you. And at some point, you're going to know at a crossroads in your life when something is going to come up, that this You'll know that this was the Lord, or this may help you with a decision to make. 
See, some of these things are remind, the Lord reminding us that he was here now. He knew what he was preparing you for in the future. But the truth is, oftentimes there's not a whole lot we can do with them. And some people, will, this will drive them crazy. Why do I keep having this dream? What does this mean? What is it the Lord's speaking to me? The Lord is not the author of confusion. He wants to use you today, but he gives you things to remind you that he is, he is there in your past, your present, and in your future. So I'd love to talk more with you if you've ever had an experience like that. If you feel like the Lord is leading you in a direction, but you don't completely know what it means, um, he is not the author of confusion, but clarity. Now, so this, one of the things we ought to share with our kids, when we read this story with our kids, with our grandkids, is that we have to be honest and, and be real people and, and recognize that we harbor some of these feelings ourselves sometimes. And we see where they led in the case of Joseph's brothers to their own brother selling their own brother off to slavery. This is what people who harbor jealousy do. I don't mean they, they, they're always going to sell someone off to slavery, but they do wicked things. And wickedness and hatred and jealousy do not lead to contentment, but lead to significant insecurity. Because Scripture tells us that that's the way Joseph's brothers felt from the rest of their time. This constant feeling that, oh no, now God is going to judge us for what he did and what's happening now in Israel is judgment and, and this lifestyle of insecurity because they obeyed their impulses of vengeance, hatred, and jealousy. We must be men and women of God that recognize these things in our life and take them to the cross and choose gratitude and to sit at the table of grace instead. Now, this story has got so much, and we're going to take communion. There are so many things to unpack, but I, so I've had to settle on just, just a few. The next one, temptation. The other dark thing that takes place in this story is temptation. In Genesis 39, verses, I'm going to go to verse 39, verse 6. So Jake, Joseph is traded off into slavery, and he is recruited by one of the biggest guys in all of Egypt, Potiphar. He's, Potiphar works in Pharaoh's court, so he's kind of like Potiphar's, one of Potiphar's main men. And he gets to go into Potiphar's house, and it's not long before he's, he's there, as Scripture said, that the Lord prospers him, that whatever Joseph put his hands to, the Lord is with him, and he prospers. And so Joseph, he goes from the fields into the home, and here's what happens when he goes from the fields into the home in verse 6, I'm going to pick up about there. I'm in Genesis 39, verse 6, and I think he's got it up there for me as well. It says, So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. I know, I, maybe I only think of these things, but I know Joseph's up there in heaven looking down. He's like, look at what it says about me in Scripture. <laughs> Like, I think most guys would rather just say something like that about us in Scripture than that we were honorable men. But he was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. Verse 8, But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. 
No master has, excuse me, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. So what happens next is finally she catches him in a point, uh, catches him off guard and grabs, as Joseph tries to run away from the situation, she grabs a piece of his, uh, she grabs a piece of his cloak and screams and uses that opportunity after just being so tired of this guy rejecting her, of Joseph rejecting her. She uses that opportunity to say that Joseph tried to take advantage of me. And we don't really know exactly what Potiphar's attitude was in this. Scripture doesn't clearly tell us. But instead of making a decision which normally would have led to jo- which should have probably led to Joseph's death, Potiphar would have had the authority to do that. Instead, Joseph is sent to jail. And quickly, so you, you're, you're a young man that gets dreams. God has these promises for you. You've got the blessing of your father, and you find yourself first in, in slavery. And then you find yourself in, in, in a comfortable place in one of the home of one of the main people in all of Egypt. And now Joseph is back in prison. Joseph, and what's even worse, is that all of this happened when Joseph did the right thing and he still and it still does not work out for him. How about that one? You ever felt that way before? I keep doing the right thing and things still just don't seem to be working out. I'm sure you haven't had that experience before. I mean, the scripture doesn't speak to us. If you've ever felt that way, say amen. You've done the right thing and things still just don't seem to be working out. This is Joseph's experience. He stands for his God. And he, he, he affirms his God, and he affirms the man in his house who doesn't even believe in the same God that he is, who has him in slavery. He affirms the generosity of Potiphar. And he even affirms the dignity of Potiphar's wife in not choosing to do such a thing, not resting upon her judgment. And in the midst of all of this, he finds himself back in prison. You know, James says it's by our own evil desires that we are dragged away and enticed, that sin gives, uh, that, that desire gives birth to sin and sin gives birth to death. And Joseph's a great example here because he didn't let the temptation be something that dragged away and enticed him. He didn't have a choice. And what we get to model, what model we get from Joseph is that he ran When Joseph was tempted, he chose to run, to get out of the way as much as he possibly could. And he does the right thing, and he finds himself back in jail. So what happens to him in jail, if you you don't know the rest of the story? Pretty quickly, he's made in charge of the prison. The internal guy, he's a prisoner himself, but he's basically in charge of the affairs of the prison. And soon enough, two officials, two of... Pharaoh's officials, the baker and the cupbearer, they come and enter into the jail. They have dreams, 
And Joseph interprets their dreams for them. He tells the baker that you're going to get out of jail soon and you're going to die. He tells the cupbearer that you're going to be raised right back to your seat of authority that you had with Pharaoh. Well, what he tells them, though, is that now that I've interpreted your dream, I want you to go tell Pharaoh who I am and what I've done for you and all that I've done here in prison and hoping, just hoping, (coughs) that he'll get out and he'll get out of jail somehow. So, What Joseph prophesies, what he interprets, excuse me, comes to pass. The baker dies, and the cupbearer is restored to his position. But does he tell Pharaoh about Joseph? Two years later. Now, come on. you you got to just, he does the right thing. He's got this promise from the Lord, and he sits in jail for two more years. But here's what happens in that one day after two years. The cupbearer. Pharaoh is having this dream, and it's a dream. I'm not going to go into detail for time, but it's a dream about the plague that is getting ready to come upon Egypt. He sees years of abundance, but he also sees years of famine in his dreams. He doesn't completely understand what it is, so he needs somebody to interpret it for him. Well, the cupbearer finally remembers Joseph at that point, two years later. So what happens to this guy, Joseph, two years later? He gets walked in in handcuffs, and after he interprets Pharaoh's dream... Pharaoh says, is there anybody else in all of Egypt that is as wise and has the, the spirit and the power of God on them as this man? We are, I'm going to make this man number two in all of Egypt. Walks in as a prisoner, walks out. They nickname him Zaphonath Panea, and he is now the number two guy in all of Egypt. I would say Joseph was having a good day. Now, The last thing I want to say, and this is the key point of this text that we often miss. This is the key thing that is happening in this story. And it's last, it's the word preserves. Joseph preserves. Joseph, as he becomes number two in all of Egypt, all of what he has said begins to come to pass. All of what he, had prof- uh, what he predicted begins to come to pass. And so Egypt begins storing up in the years of abundance. They know just as many years of famine are coming. So they begin to store a fifth. It's seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. That's a lot of famine. So they keep storing up a fifth so they will have plenty for the years of famine. So Joseph is, is, is running this, and when the famine begins to hit, guess who shows up at Joseph's doorstep needing grain? All of his brothers, because the famine is now hit in Canaan. So you have to imagine what that moment would have been like to encounter the people who almost killed you, your own flesh and blood who sold you into slavery. And this, this story is, is beautiful because it begins to picture Joseph's Emotion. There's, there's, there's a few things that transpire, but it comes to a point where Joseph is with all of his brothers. They don't recognize him. He's in all of his Egyptian garb, and it's been 20 years. They don't know who he is. And there finally comes to a point where Joseph is encountering his brothers, and he breaks down, and he gets emotional. And he begins to tell his brothers who he is. And he begins to forgive them. Of course, it is the most amazing story in all of Scripture next to the forgiveness that is offered to us through the cross of Jesus Christ and what Jesus did for us 
but this is the most beautiful story in all of Scripture of forgiveness. And I hope if you have not had that experience in this room, you have, you have walked through life missing something. If you have not forgiven someone in a way where they have really harmed you, or if you have not asked for forgiveness of some, someone who has harmed you in many ways, you are missing something in life. I will say that to you with full conviction. You were created to forgive. You were created to experience the power that comes in these moments because that power is a parallel of what Christ has done for us. It is what you were created to do. Because what this forgiveness was, was a massive story of God in preservation. Here's what it says. Here's what Rod read to us a few moments ago. After Jacob, their father, comes and is reunited with with Joseph, after Jacob dies, his brothers start getting worried. Now what's Joseph going to do to us now that father has died? And here's what it says in, in, in Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. He says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please... Forgive the sins of the servants of the God your father. When their message came to Joseph, came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before them. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So what we miss when we read this story quickly is we miss all the preservation that's taking place. We even miss why a lot of these things even happened to Joseph in the first place. Okay, here's a guy who has dreams and who believes these dreams are from God, who walks softly before the Lord, doesn't even fall into temptation, can go through challenges in life and not lose his stinking mind like I do a lot of times. Because guess what's getting ready to happen in Egypt? They're going to go through some stuff. And there needs to be a guy who understand, who believes that this is going to come to an end soon, that knows what to do in moments like this. And so there needed to be a man like Joseph who could preserve not just one, but two nations. Joseph preserves Egypt through this season. But he also preserves the nation of Israel. And see, what's, what's going on is all of Egypt is now going, excuse me, all of Israel is now going to transition into Egypt. And if you know the next book of the Bible, it's the book of Exodus, and now the Lord's about to bring them out. And we, we, of course, it's easy to think of slavery as a bad thing because it is. We shouldn't, we shouldn't treat people as slaves. But what slavery did over these years 
was this gener- where even some of the tribes were starting to make their own tribes. It brought them all back together. They all stuck together. They all had families. They all worked, and they got larger. And that was part of the problem that Pharaoh run to, into in the book of Exodus, is now this nation was getting so big, and they're eventually going to take us over. So there needed to be a man of God that could go through some tough stuff, that could go through some tough stuff and not blame it on the living God and, and start trying to, when resources are getting slim, to start taking these resources for himself and start hoarding things and start being fearful because they don't know what tomorrow would bring. This is the preservation that the Lord was doing. He preserves the wicked people that tried to destroy him. See, we are living, we we have to capture this because today, this moment right here, we are living, living in what many theologians call the dispensation of grace. The Old Testament is very different, but this season we live in right now is a season where we are waiting for the Lord to return. And it's hard for me when I hear Christians say, Lord, I just hope you come back tomorrow. Because the reality that if you were to return tomorrow, there are many that will perish that have never known him that are choosing to live their life outside of Christ. But we have a calling right now that here in our time is to get as many people to know who Jesus is before his return. It is a time of where the Lord is trying to preserve as much of his creation as possible before a final season of judgment comes. So this time I want to ask our deacons to come forward as we prepare for communion. It's a season of preservation. And the Lord told us this simple thing that we're going to do now. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remember who you are, to preserve the good in you, to preserve the God in you. And do this together to affirm each other in the in faith, to forgive each other, to empower each other, to remind each other that you're still in this together. So this time, I want to ask everyone to bow your, <laughs> bow your, bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm cursed from that one Christmas Eve. I said that. Lord, all across this room, I pray that this story is speaking to someone here. There are those that are being tempted. There are those that are harboring things that they, that they were not created to harbor. And there are those that you've placed in a position to preserve life, to affirm the good in others, to empower others. And to do the divine things that you created them to do. I pray all across this church there would be men and women of God that would say yes to you. And now, as we partake of communion together, this is what you do. You remind us to do this in remembrance of you. That our time here on this earth is not over. So today is still the day to to parent, to forgive, to empower others. That there is work to be done As, Lord, you are longing to return. You are preserving the good here in this place. And we are the lights, uh, Lord, that you have ordained to speak that truth all across this world. And so, Lord, now, may you be glorified as we remember you in communion. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Joe's going to sing a song. The lyrics will be on the screen at this time. I want to invite you to come to the middle of the aisle and come forward and partake of communion. We all know the drill here, but if you would be in need of prayer, I would love to have the opportunity to pray with you over here to the side as well. Yeah. 
Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for these moments when we can return to your table and be reminded of who we are and who we are in this with. All across this room, I pray each one would would have the reality that we are not alone. We have the living God and the universal church of Jesus Christ that is with us. So may we preserve the life in each other and be empowered to live as you have called us to in such a time as this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.